I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Today on the On Enquirer podcast, Michael Tulip joins us to give his thoughts on Illinois' 95-85 win over Iowa. Mike was there at State Farm Center and breaks down why he was so pumped himself about this victory for Illinois following a disappointing loss at Penn State after that collapse. He breaks down a great bench mob performance from Nicolo Moretti, Amani Hansberry, Justin Harmon steps up as well. We break that down uh, and what to expect from those guys moving forward. Also, a big bounce back performance from Coleman Hawkins and why Mike was so encouraged by the Illini defense despite giving up 85 points. We also look ahead to a week where Illinois hosts Minnesota, travels to Wisconsin as they try to make something interesting with Purdue towards the late stretch here with two weeks left to play, but Purdue would really have to fall on its face here to close the season. So they're now 14-3. and three. They'd have to lose probably a home game uh, and it lose to Illinois for Illinois to have a chance uh, to win a Big Ten championship share here. But Illinois trying to improve its NCAA tournament resume and most importantly, build some momentum uh, heading into the NCAA tournament and the postseason. So we break all that down with Michael Tulip. It is a big week ahead, uh, both for the basketball programs, but the Illini heading to the Combine. Six Illini heading to the Combine. Dane Brewer from The Athletic reports that Johnny Newton will not participate in the Combine due to a foot injury that he suffered uh, during the season, played through it which looking forward to catching up with Johnny talking about that because he could have just shut it down with the way he was playing. Uh, So looking forward to hearing from him about all of that. Uh, But Johnny's going to have another workout at some point of pro day to show what he can do. But Byron Murphy kind of creeping up on him from the Texas, a defensive lineman that seems like he might be the number one defensive lineman on a lot of boards right now. But Johnny's going to be a very high draft pick. Uh, It's a big week ahead for for everyone else, though. Uh, Isaiah Adams seems to be really entrenched as a potential early day three pick. Could he get into the day two? That'll be interesting to see what kind of week he has at the Combine as a really versatile, good offensive lineman. Uh, Isaiah Williams seems like he's going to be drafted 
Uh, it's a really good wide receiver class. We might have to wait a while, but it does seem like he's in the most top 200s on the list. But I think it's a really especially big week for Keith Randolph, who had an injury-plagued year. I think his stock has kind of stagnated a little bit because of that. His senior bowl sounds like he was okay. Uh, but I think it's a big week for him at the NFL Combine. It's a big week for Tip Ryman, who seems to be gaining a lot of juice here in the pre-draft process. Had a very good um, Shrine Bowl performance to get the invite to the Combine. And it sounds like he could test really, really well at the Combine. So maybe not a guy that had the most production as a receiver, but we know he's a devastating blocker. And uh, if he can show some really good athleticism in these drills... Maybe he's a guy that could get drafted as well, and Julian Pearl will be there. Not the greatest senior bowl for him, but uh, he's got an opportunity with his size, his athleticism, his quickness. Uh, I think teams are going to potentially take a flyer on him. And then you got the pro day in a couple weeks where Casey Washington has been a riser in the pre-draft process. Denzel Daxon is somebody that I think is going to be in a training camp. So a big couple weeks ahead for those guys. We'll keep you updated as well as we can at IlliniInquire.com. And as always, go VIP. If you're not a VIP member, Michael Tulip, we did a film room breaking down the Illini defense against Iowa and why he's so encouraged. It is worth the VIP membership alone to get the film rooms from Michael Tulip and Jay Lehman. Those guys, I learn something new every time I sit down with for a 20, 30, sometimes a Mike 40-minute film session, but it is so good uh, that it's worth the VIP subscription alone. But then you have me, Derek, Joey Wagner, reporting on these teams, analyzing these teams, and keeping you up to date uh, with the latest on Illini Athletics, as always. So it's more than $40 of savings for a 30% off deal for our annual membership at Alana Inquirer. So check that out. But coming up next, Michael Tewitt breaks down his thoughts on Illinois defeating Iowa and what's ahead for the final two weeks of the regular season for Brad Underwood's Illini. That's next on the Alana Inquirer podcast. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, so that's time we catch up with Michael Tulip as Illinois bounces back with a 95-85 win over Iowa. Much needed after that Penn State collapse. And Mike, we'll, we'll dive into some of these big moments. We'll talk about some the bench mob, should we call him that, after one game. Uh, but Nicola Moretti, we'll talk about him and Monty Hansberry. I thought Justin Harmon was fantastic. Big game from Coleman Hawkins. Uh, and if we found any defensive strides in an 85 point, despite giving up 85 points. But you said this was one of your favorite wins of the season. Yeah. Why? Well, coming off of a massive collapse, like you mentioned, I just think that you know there were a lot of questions about this defense. There was a lot of questions about how – certain guys would respond how the staff would respond and you have to turn the page and deal with a team that 
since January 1st is the number seven offense in the country. While you're having all these defensive questions, while you're having some, you know, even broader questions. But like, I thought that the necessary changes were made defensively heading into the game. And then the right strings were pulled during the game. And I thought Brad Underwood and the staff played a massive, 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 massive part in that win. Um, And there was just, I just thought like the contributions you got when they made those changes, guys stepped in and were fearless. That's just, that's why it was so, I was there live and it, you could feel it, right? There was this like kind of unifying aspect to it by the end of that game. And I, and I go to games alone most times and I like sit there and I watch it because I have to talk about it afterwards. Mm-hmm. And I'm usually not very like demonstrative in the stands, but like I was really fired up after that game just for a myriad of reasons. But I'm like walking on the court and I lock eyes with Dion and he's like doing radio and I just like, Go, man. Like, let's go. Um, Just the way it all went down, we talk about the line change, obviously, all that. But um, to bounce bounce back like that in that spot, I thought was was really awesome. Yeah, Como was the story of the game, but let's be honest, that line change, that that felt like a – I don't know if I want to go seminal moment of the season, but it it felt big because it felt like Brad was like, enough of this. Enough of this. I have to – I have to show this not only to the rest of my team, but everybody that, that this is not good enough. We're not doing this again. So what did you think of the move and sitting there watching this, Mike, because you see Brad, just everybody out, everybody out. What did you think of that? What did it say? And what did it do to this team? Well, you first got to, you first got to ask yourself why, right? Like why, why did it happen? And to be honest, and we'll go through the film and everything. I thought the effort was really good in the first half. Like, I thought the intent was there. I Again, the, the change they made defensively to stop switching and keep matchups, I thought gave them a little more bite. Um, so it's not like this was this 22-minute buildup to where it was a, like almost enough is enough, get these guys out. I actually I, – I looked at it where you go, okay, your first four shots of the second half are threes. You're not attacking the paint. You've lost a little bit of that bite defensively to start this half, and you've gotten beasted twice by a freshman on the glass. Okay, so what I saw was actually less of a reaction. Like, we just got to get these guys out of here, and I thought it was more preventative because he – I think I think Underwood saw where it was going, and it wasn't like we've come to our wits' end, get these guys out of the game. It was get these guys out of the game – because we still have enough time for to send a message and get them back in at some point. But like it, it felt very preventative. Like it's starting to slip and I will not let it slip. This is not slipping. Get them out. And yeah, I mean, I thought that 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 takes a lot of guts, man. Like it, it does because think about the situation, right? You're sending in a second unit comprised of some guys that play, one guy that like really had not at all against like i said a top 10 offense in the country who at that point because it was so early in the second half all their starters are in mm-hmm. it's not like you're working them in where you have some bench guys that you can also match up some of these other guys on all their starters were in and they kept their starters in after the media when 
when Illinois kept those guys in as well. So there just aren't a lot of second units in the Big Ten that could do that and and hold down the fort enough. So I thought it was a I thought it was an awesome move. I thought it truly I thought it made all the difference in the game. So let's talk about that. I mean, Nico Moretti checks in, has a huge performance, and stays in the game. 17 minutes he played in that second half when he didn't play a minute uh, in the first half, and he's barely played, what, 29 minutes in the Big Ten uh, so far this season. Amani Hansberry brings some energy. And I thought Justin Harmon – I mean, we talk about a Coleman Hawkins bounce back. Justin Harmon, I thought, turned the game at some points, Mike. I mean, 12 points, made all six free throws, some some tough finishes at the rim – but he had four rebounds in a minute. That thought turned the game in one of the most important moments. What did that bench bring, and, and what, can, what can that do for those guys moving forward? Well, I talked about the fearlessness, right? And we'll, let's start with Justin Harmon because it's, I think it's important to talk about the line change and also mention Justin Harmon. Justin Harmon came in with three and a half minutes left in the first half. So message sent there for sure. And I thought it was so important for him to come in with that line change, with the guys coming into the game. And the reason for that is the Penn State game, and I was critical of Justin Harmon, just like I'd be super critical of Coleman Hawkins. Like Coleman Hawkins was horrible against Penn State. And I don't I don't feel bad saying that because both of those guys have set a standard of what they're capable of as players, right? Like they set that standard. Um, you know, Justin's a really important part to this team. This team, I don't think, hits their ceiling without Justin Harmon being on top of what he's doing. Coleman Hawkins has set a standard as being one of the most impactful players in the Big Ten. And fortunately or unfortunately, when that's the bar that you set, you're held to that. And it's not like a make shots, oh, you know, Harmon missed shots, uh, Hawkins missed shots, and, you know, they're not any good. It's the approach, mm-hmm. right, the, you know, the mental approach and – how dialed in are you? Like that that has to be non-negotiable game to game. And so when you sub in Harmon with that during that line change, psychologically, I thought it was so good for him because you're asking yourself as a player who's getting subbed in, okay, we're all going into the game because what? Okay, they're subbing out these guys because of maybe a little bit of a lack of effort, lack of bite, lack of focus, lack of toughness. So if I'm one of the five guys getting subbed in to take that group off the floor, I cannot be that. So I thought that just really sparked Justin, where he's like, I'm looked at as one of those guys who's coming in to take those guys out. I have to deliver. And that's not like points. That's not, you know, that is like, I'm dialed in defensively. I'm cutting off the ball. I'm a menace on the glass. Like I think Justin Harmon is a, can be an Andres Felice like rebounder and he has probably two or three inches on Andres mm-hmm. um, like he can be really high level in that area and so look I, I think you're 8-0 when you when when uh, when Harmon scores in double figures and I think you could look at that as like a points thing but that's an aggression thing for 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 Justin because he shot six free throws as well he got to the line he attacked and a lot and a couple of those were in transition where he's able to be a part of a unit that gets a stop and gets out and and finishes but um but i'll mention nico as well right huge spark i you know he orchestrated that second unit really well i think it's i think it's part of the reason you opted for for moretti over gibbs lawhorn um 
but he orchestrated that unit well. Uh, I thought when he cycled back in with with really some of the first unit, uh, he took a little bit of heat off of Marcus. Yeah. And, and I think allowed him to be a little bit more, I guess, have his legs a little bit more because I thought he was absolutely gassed at the end of, of Penn State. Um, but we'll see where, where, where Nico fits in moving forward because part of me feels like it's going to be very matchup dependent. Um, I, you know, one thing I want to look at for him is 17 second half minutes, three fouls. Uh, so you know, if he is going to play somewhat extended minutes, can he can he stay on the floor depending on who, who his matchup is? Because that's really tough. As a freshman, I think he's like a year away body-wise with Fletch um, to feel even more probably confident there defensively. But but what I will say is he plays his butt off. Yeah. And and I think that's that's why earlier in the season, if people want to – because this is what's going to happen. People are going to be like, you had him the whole season. Why didn't you play him? Um, You're feeding right into where I'm I'm going, Mike, because this was a phenomenal performance. Hits two threes, really had some bite defensively, getting over screens, all of that, contested well. Like, even some of the fouls, I didn't think he fouled. I thought he had great verticality. Um, But, like, now I think people are like, oh, this guy's going to play 20 minutes. I don't think that's going to be the case. But the fact that he showed the mental toughness to come in to play – poised and to be ready for that moment I thought was encouraging that at least you know you can go back to that uh that if you need that card you can play that card again I'm not personally expecting him to be 10 plus minutes the rest of the season but I do think he's earned more opportunity obviously no I agree I agree I think you will see him mixed in along with probably another guy we're gonna we're we're gonna talk about here shortly so to be able to go you know to your 10th 11th guy and have it be you know, the caliber of a, of a Nico Moretti that can go in there and not just be like a point A to point B guy. You know, you can bring some guys in and they, they're just like, okay, my job is to just take care of the ball, hold on to it. Don't make a mistake. You know, if I hit the ball, get it to whoever it needs to be and get out of the way. Like he can go and initiate some things. And that's, I thought that was really impressive. And he just brings something you don't have otherwise, right? A guy offensively who can break things down, who can handle pressure easily and as you said I thought he just took pressure off Marcus uh, and I think that's needed just to give him a break I mean it felt yeah. like there was a difference with Marcus playing 29 minutes I and mean, maybe some of these starters playing 29 to 34 minutes rather than 38 towards the end of this game but uh, defensively I still have some concerns I liked what he brought but um, man that was that was fun and uh, it, it gives you not only an option for the long term but but an option that you can play if you need to yeah I, I look I think People are, I think people are going to look at this and be like, you know, you have your point guard for the rest of the year. Marcus Damas has done a hell of a job as a point guard. Yeah. You know, some people I've talked to the past couple of weeks are like, well, you know, does Ty Rogers move back to more of a natural? Ty Rogers hasn't been a point guard for two, three months. <laughs> That's right. Um, right. He's been, he's played more five than he has point guard. And for, for Damask, like, we, you know, we can talk about Moretti. We can talk about, you know, we'll talk about Amani Hansberry. Like, we'll talk about all these guys, and that's that's great. And these guys are are what they brought to that game. I thought made a major um, impact on on the outcome. I, I I really do believe that. But when it gets to March, and it gets to like, if you're relying on a Nico Moretti, if you're relying on Amani Hansberry and those guys, like one, those guys aren't ready for that. Um, and two, you need your guys to be the guys in March. Right, you need Terrence Shannon to be Terrence Shannon. You need Marcus Damask to be Marcus Damask. You need Coleman Hawkins to be Coleman Hawkins. If those three guys 
aren't playing up to the level that they're capable of, that's that's the issue more than like, hey, who else can we kind of mix in here? Um, now, in certain moments like that, full line change, um, hey, foul trouble, uh, hey, we need a spark. That that is more of what I see for those two guys, and that's that isn't really important. Like that, I don't want to I don't want to diminish that at all because those those guys can play just as big of a role, you know, minute to minute as some of the other guys. But at a macro level, you need your guys to be the guys, and yeah. so that's that's on that that's on that older group, that more experienced group. Before we turn the page to one of those guys being that guy uh, the other day, Amani Hansberry. I do. I I don't know if Brad was he was maybe a little hyperbole saying he would play 20 minutes a game if he were fully healthy, but I think he would have been in the rotation if he were fully healthy this year because you just know what he's going to bring. He might be a little undersized, but there's a tenacity and effort. You've talked a lot about how vocal he is in drop coverage on defense, but there's just you're, there's energy off off the bench that I feel like of all those guys in the post, like Dane Danger made an impact, wasn't able to finish around the rim quite as well, but had eight rebounds. I love that out of him. But Amani, I know I'm getting that every time. So what did you think of his game and, and what do you think of him moving forward? Yeah, I mean I think the I think the comment that Brad Underwood made of like he'd be playing twenty plus minutes, I think that's just kind of the number to get a, get your attention a little bit. Yeah. Right? Because if he came in and was like if he was healthy, he'd be playing twelve plus minutes. You'd be like, all right, that's right. All right, so you'd work him in here and there, but like that, I think he's trying to explain the importance that Amani has to his team. But yeah, now that he's now that he seems healthy, he's got to play. Um, that may not be twenty minutes, but he's the type of guy in spurts that can really make an impact in eight to ten, ten to twelve. You know, maybe it's fifteen in some games if he's got to spell some of these other guys. Uh, I just. You know, I love his his disposition. There's like a certain this, and I'm not even saying this to be cliche. Like, there's a certain look that guys have in their eyes. And I was sitting on, uh, you know, a couple rows up on the on the sideline, kind of during the game. And you can see it even more when you're in person with Imani. It's like he has this look in his eyes where, like, it, he plays like his life is on the line. And that is a desperation that you know sometimes only comes from guys that are like fighting for playing time because you know you saw it sometimes with Dre Gibbs Lawhorn when you get in the game and it was like I gotta defend I gotta like you know I'm fighting for my life I think about at Ohio State and what he was doing and leveling guys off and I thought Nico Moretti did that when he came in and like the challenge is you know you can still have that from your first five guys right and Amani just Man, all the little things he's asked to do, he does, and it's and it is no way, shape, or form perfect. Mm -hmm. But the effort and the attitude can cover up those mistakes. I mean, like I said, I'm sitting there, I'm there at the game live, and they're huddled up. He is shorter than Marcus Damask and Terrence Shannon. Like I, for people that that maybe just like maybe watch on TV, haven't been there live, and like I'm he. I'm like 95% sure he is shorter than both of those guys. And just as an aside, sorry to interrupt, but like people watch Terrence Shannon standing next to some tall dudes. Like he looks closer to six, seven, to be honest with you than, yeah. than six, six, because he's sitting there next to it's like Dane danger. And like their eye level with each other. Um, Damas, same thing. Yeah. Just a yeah. massive team. No. And, and I, and I think, and I, I make the height comment because, and he's really long. Amani's really long. But I, he's shown in the in the spurts that he was in. And granted, like tonight you got a, or you know the other night you got a big sample size. He's going against Cricky. He's going against Freeman. 
I think he holds up the best defensively as a post defender. Like they couldn't really move him. Strong base, right? Strong, really strong base, and and he fights you, and he knows angles, and um, that's that's a potential weapon to have moving forward. Because I think the other thing that he does really well, and and he got called for one, and and not for another, but he's really good with verticality, right? Like he's just he's great with that. Like his, the verticality and like how he immediately can kind of get to hands up reminds me a lot of like a. And I'm not saying that he is this player. But EJ Liddell was really good at this. Yeah. Like, could just kind of in a bang bang play, like show his hands and get vertical. Um, I'm just, I'm really excited for for Amani because I think that they're gonna find more minutes for him, whatever that ends up looking like, and and he's absolutely earned it. So we're 15, 17 minutes into this, and we haven't brought a player of the game. <laughs> I just want to give a shout out to the bench, and I think everyone wants to hear about that. But huge bounce back performance for Coleman Hawkins because Penn State was so disappointing and not yeah, just the no. end not just the end but just the entire game um, a bunch of turnovers in the first half he comes out 13 of the first 23 points for his team really sparked him really took advantage of a, a good matchup for him offensively but there were these turnovers four turnovers just didn't have the bite at the rim again but man in that second half Mike he helped close and uh, 30 points career high bunch of assists I just thought he took over the game uh, towards the end of the game, and, and, and that was huge to see. And what did you see? Like, what do you make of, of that kind of performance by Coleman Hawkins? I think it takes a lot of toughness and, and confidence to do what he did. I mean, I think it's – I said it earlier in the show, and I, I'm again, I'm not afraid to say it because, you know, I, I do expect a lot out of Coleman Hawkins because of what he's shown. Right? He was really bad against Penn State. Yeah. And he'd tell you the same, because if you if you if you want to tell me that you weren't bad, now you're telling me that that's part of you know the makeup that you have as a player that that you have games like that like that's baked in and that is to me that has been that type of game is an aberration um, for a guy like for a guy like Coleman this year he is, he has proven that that he's one of the more impactful guys in this conference and and in terms of what it means for a team maybe nationally. Um, you know, just just with all that he does on the floor and, and the importance of that. So, you know, I, I mentioned he set that standard for himself. And it's it's on him with the mental approach to the game, how locked in you are um, to bring that every single night. Because it's it's going to fluctuate shooting numbers, all those things. But when he's when he's got bite, when he's dialed in and he's got the right approach, you get nights like you got against or days like you got against Iowa yeah. where – shoot you're like why wouldn't you take this guy in the first round yeah um right like he's he's that good well mike uh we were really interested to see how they would do defensively they give up 85 points in this one but i felt a little bit bit better defensively coming out of this game uh i've explained on the podcast but what did you think defensively of the adjustments they made and just the the effort they had yeah it's so it's funny because after that first half you know 44 43 i think very deflating end to the half with yeah. the Sanford, the Sanford little flip in. So I walk down by the media tunnel, and I'm I see some people, and some people are like kind of giving me long faces, and I'm like, dude, I'm really encouraged. I, like the change that they made to not switch and keep matchups, I thought made all the difference because will and people can maybe hear this and look at the 85 points and 43 in the first half and say that I'm crazy. But if you think I'm crazy, 
make one promise to me and watch the film that we're about to do here after this because the quality of shot in that first half I was like man if they keep this up if they keep this up they're going to win this game I mean this is a this is I I was talking to some people after the game people were going back and forth with me on X slash Twitter what you want to call it and they're like well 85 points I'm like did you expect the seventh ranked offense since January 1st to go scoreless well there's a reason they're that good well and I sat there and Mike they, they barely shot any threes uh, what, what disappointed me the most was some of the offensive rebounds and, and getting some putbacks. Like Owen Freeman, I did yeah. not see this kind of toughness out of him as a prospect. Like when he was uh, at Bradley Bourbon A, but like he he has really um, been a good player for them. But Tony Perkins making some tough shots. Josh Dix, I was just like, have a game, man. Like he, he was yeah. making really difficult shots, but but they're good. Like that that's a good offensive team. I I felt like Illinois was dictating more of what an offense was doing compared to Penn State. Well, it looked more like earlier in the year where yeah. with, the, with the type of shots that you were forcing. And this is the best way that I can break it down here. What's, you know, what's the true difference? The true difference is that when you switch, right, like you did at Penn State, when you get a Nick Kern going, when you get an Ace Baldwin going, you're switching all the like screens, so the dribble handoffs and everything. So now when, when Ace Baldwin or Kern are coming off the, the ball screen, you know, maybe it's Luke Goody guarding them, right? Maybe it's Justin Harmon guarding them as opposed to, hey, Tony Perkins is your guy that's going to come off the most ball screens and damn it, Terrence Shannon's going to come off, going to be the one trailing him damn near every time. Like that, that is going to be the game plan. We're not deviating from that. If Sanford is setting flares and slipping to the rim and coming off staggers, it's going to be Marcus Damas trailing him. Did a hell of a job, by the way, Damask. Three for 11. Peyton Sanford, 0 for 2 from 3, no 3s, 5 for 14 from the field for Tony Perkins. Terrence Shannon had a heck of a lot to do with that. And and that is, to me, why when you look at – you can see 85 points and you can see whatever it ended up being, 90 for Penn State, and think that "Ah, that's five-point difference, there's not much of a change. Um, Night and day. Like, it was was really – it was night and day from Penn State. Mike, the the switching part – sorry, but is there – is accountability a big factor in that? Huge. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so it, for people that, that are trying to like, well, like really what's the biggest difference between switching when I have my matchup, like Terrence Shannon, I come in in the game, man, it is, it's going to be a rough day for Tony Perkins. Right. Marcus Demasson coming into the game, man, it is, I'm going to make, I'm, tr- I'm going to try to make Peyton Sanford's life a living hell. Right. Like that type of ownership and accountability is huge because you just I think what they've realized is yes we have capable defenders on this roster we like our size there's some switchability there but we're not good enough on the whole to just switch everything right we're just we're you know that's it's not that type of defensive team so let's lean on who our best defenders are right and when it comes to getting over ball screens and tracking down it's Terrence Shannon yep off the ball, dialed in, locked in, because he's a kind of a shooter himself. Those guys have a better, you know, propensity to be able to read things for for a guy like Peyton Sanford that you're guarding, like Marcus Damask, right? So that's how you come in and say, here's our best matchups. Like, like Ty Rogers may not be the best matchup for a Peyton Sanford, right? Um, so you, you just so instead of switching, because if you switch throughout the possession. Now you got Ty Rogers on Peyton Sanford. Now you got Luke Goody on Tony Perkins. Like that is where it fell apart against Penn State. 
So you keep the matchups. There's matchup continuity there. And you just get back to what you're doing earlier in the season where you're contesting tough twos. If they make them, great. Yep. You got to make them for 40 minutes. And Iowa didn't do that. 35% in the second half. Um, but you mentioned it. If there's one thing that I came out of that game that was like, hmm, like one thing to tighten up here, it is it's finishing the possessions, right? Like there was like just a couple times with Freeman and Cricky where it's like, gosh, you just you played 28 seconds of unbelievable defense. Shot goes up, you got to finish it out. And I think if they find that, which also really good rebounding team earlier in the season, recapture that, man. And what this offense is doing, you're cooking. Yeah, as good as Coleman Hawkins was, I thought he kind of did the Kofi Coburn thing of chasing blocks uh, and getting out yeah. of position. Um, Terrence Shannon, Brad Underwood was all over him for not getting enough rebounds. But we saw he got some offensive ones late in the game, so he yeah. showed he showed some bite there. Uh, and, and Quincy Garrier had a nice first half, but three rebounds in, in 19 minutes. So that's where I still think they can get a little bit better. Uh, Mike, big week ahead is you got Minnesota at home. Ken Palm has Illinois as an 11-point favorite. Minnesota just got blown out by Nebraska. But a better team, obviously, than any of us expected. And then Wisconsin on the road, man, for a quad one opportunity and probably the chance to lock up second place in the Big Ten. If you take care of business against Minnesota, uh, get Wisconsin, then go into a final week potentially with a chance to chase down Purdue. So what do you make of these two games this week? Yeah, I think at this point in the season, there's so much film out there. You know, there's there's – so much scouting that gets done and people know your tendencies people know exactly what you want to get to defensively they know exactly what you want to get to offensively i mean it's it's true for everyone across the league right so now really comes in hey attention to detail man you know focus and toughness like that is just like you, the way they gutted out that game against iowa like that that is what you can really draw on and draw upon moving forward where you're like and when we lock in and we're focused it has a ripple effect on our game offensively on the offensive glass defensively closing out possessions like that's that's what it's got to be because look minnesota compared to previous years like this is a talent this is a talented team mm -hmm. and dawson garcia is probably going to be an all big 10 guy uh cam christie is going to be an all all freshman type of player and and you know hawkins has been solid for them you you know what what guys like Payne and ola joseph and and those guys bring uh, but, but yeah, like it, it's just game to game, you know, it's not, it can't be like beat Maryland, exhale, Oh, Penn state, and then beat Iowa. Feel like, you know, you've kind of figured some things out. Like there's just, there's gotta be just that kind of short-term memory there and move on to the next one and say, Hey, what's, what's our job and, and let's take care of business. Cause with look like with Wisconsin too, what's, what's really interesting with this team is this is the first year since 2015 that their offense is ahead of their defense mm. nationally. And 2015, they were the number one offense in the country. Right. Um, so they quite literally, like it was hard for that defense to to be ahead of that. Um, but they're again, they got guys that can shoot it, got guys that can step out. Um, I think Crawl, is, Crawl and Wall are, are both really underrated players in this league. And, and the one thing that they're doing better than any year since 2017 is offensive rebounding. Like that, the reason why their offense is higher than their defense, I think they're 17th nationally offensively, and I think 47th defensively. It's because they're getting possessions back, and that that has not been the the bread and butter for Wisconsin over the years. So Wall, Crowell, you got to find and put a body on AJ Store. You know, the Klesman and these guys, like these are t just tough players 
And, and so you have to close out possessions. That's going to be the challenge, I think, in, in both of these games coming off that Iowa game where it's like, ah, maybe didn't close out as many as you, as you would have liked to. So, um, but you mentioned it, right? Like continue to build here as we head into, head into March. Cause I truly think that that Iowa game, you got a lot to, to build off there. Yeah. And you know, you're going to get Minnesota's best shot. You know, if they want to hold on to any tournament hopes, probably need to win at Illinois, Wisconsin, trying to catch Illinois, get get higher up in the Big Ten, get a higher seating in the NCAA tournament. When you're a top 15 team in the country, we'll see where they're at in the AP poll today. Uh, you're going to continue to get the best shot. Mike, before we get out of here, I want to ask you, let's go across the Big Ten here. we got two weeks left to go. Let's break down yeah. some of the awards races here. <laughs> Big Ten Player of the Year, there's not there's not a race. I mean, Zach Eady. But yeah. number two and three will be interesting to see. I don't know if they even publicized that, but I have to fill out three top guys in the Big Ten for Player of the Year. Who would be number two and three on your Jeez. list? Right now? Two and three. Um, right now, Ken Palm has Edie, Jameer Young two, Terrence Shannon three, Boo Booey four, Braden Smith number five. Yeah, that that doesn't surprise me at all. I'd, I'd probably go Shannon and Bowie. Um that would be that would probably be my 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 two three with with young kind of right there yeah. at four. Um, but God, man, Jameer Young has been really good this year. Oh. Like that team, that I mean, that Maryland team would be in complete disarray. I mean, they're already somewhat in disarray. Um, I mean, you got to win the other day, but complete disarray without him. Um, but I'm thinking about Northwestern as well without Boo Booey. My lord, I. I yeah. I don't know what they what they would look like. And Terrence has just been, you know, I put I had Terrence on my second team at that one point. I don't know if you saw the episode or what was going on there, but um, but what he's done since then, just coming back. I mean, it's it's it's, it's first team All American stuff. So those would be, those would be my two three. I talked to a few All Big Ten voters, and they they said they'd have him first team, Mike. Yeah. So so the question of this, yeah, he's on my first. Like if yeah. we. We, that was kind of like a mid Big Ten season one. I mean, if you did it now, it's there's no question. Yeah, I'm just talking about the off court problems. Like they they said that wouldn't weigh in. I, I'm yeah. the same way. He's playing right. Like he's he's playing. Right. I'm going to vote for him. Uh, Big Ten Coach of the Year. Let's see. I think Hoiberg, Ben Johnson, Chris Collins could be in in that list. We should probably put Matt Painter in, in that group. Brad Underwood in that group. Who would you have as your top three there? Yeah, this this one I always like to be careful with because. It, there's a lot of I think we talk out of I'm not saying you and I but just as you know basketball people can talk out of both sides of their mouths with with coach of the year voting because on one hand people just completely uh, you know poo poo preseason rankings right and they're like oh it's pre I mean it doesn't mean anything it's preseason I mean you got to kind of put these teams in order and then once you do coach of the year, you're like, well, the preseason rankings had them. And, and so I look at more the the total picture here. And honestly, like my coach of the year would be Fred Hoiberg. Like I, I think, and that's nothing against Matt, Matt Painter. Like I think Matt Painter is one of the best coaches in the country. It just, I think he has it all with, with the way he develops and, and X's and O's. He's, he's fantastic. But like, Unfortunately or unfortunately, I think I think Edie kind of kind of brings him down a little bit. That's um, right. No, I agree. Right. I mean, so with Hoiberg, I thought he did just in. Let's start with the off season. Crushed okay? it. Like what he did, he nailed the portal, nailed it. Bryce Williams, you know, Alec, 
Um, you know, there's there's a number of guys on that team. I mean, Aaron Eulis didn't even play this year, uh, and he's another guy that off the bench could have made could have made a could have made an impact. But yeah, Rink Mast, obviously, maybe an old yeah, Rink Mast. Jeez, yeah. I mean, come on, forgetting the probably their best transfer. Um, but look, I think the expectations for for Nebraska. I don't want to say I don't even want to say like where they were at preseason, but you can't tell me that the way this program has been the last seven years that it's like, hey, they they could get a double buy this year. And and honestly, game to game, it's not like you look at them. They're like, man, they're just like they're just more talented than everyone, right? Like I think they I think Fred Hoiberg consistently gets them playing hard every game. They are they are connected. I think they have a great culture, um, and and they've turned that arena into just a really tough place to play. And I think I think Fred has a huge hand in that. I'm looking at bracket matrix right now. Has him as a ten seed. If I'm Colorado State or Utah State, disaster. That's I do a not want to see them. Ten seed to play. <laughs> yeah. I do not want to see them. I yeah. I agree with you. Uh, would Ben Johnson be second for you? I, yeah, I mean, talk about a guy that was probably seat was hotter than anybody's Absolutely. heading into the year. And um, I know they, I don't think they'll make the NCAA tournament this year. But the fact that we're even really having the conversation, yeah, is is pretty impressive. I mean, there's, you know, I, there's a lot of insight that you get from those FS1 All Access games. And Minnesota played a game last year against Ohio State that was All Access. And I, I came just like I did with Sean Miller when they played St. John's on the All Access. I came away from that game just incredibly impressed with Ben Johnson. Like, not only just the the moves he was making during the game, the things he's calling out, the adjustments he's making, but I think those guys really play for him. You can see it com- yeah. com- compared to let's say Michigan right now, Indiana. Like, right, they just they play hard for him. Like they, yeah. they, you can tell they like playing for him. Yeah, and that's that. That's more than half the battle. And and you know, one instance particularly last year during that all access that I saw with Johnson was, you know, they they it was late game. They had a, a poor free throw shooter going going to the line, and it's a timeout. So he's drawing up basically what their defense is going to be after these free throws, and the whole time in the huddle, he is reiterating. After you make both, after you make both, after you make both, and even out of out of the huddle, he's looking at him again. He goes, "Hey, after you make both of these, and like that, and that's just a coach's way of instilling confidence in you. Because if you're sitting in that huddle and you're like, all right, well, if he makes this or if he misses it, like now yeah. you're bringing in some doubt into a already poor free throw shooter's mind. Kid goes up there, makes both of those, are able to set their defense, they win the game. Yeah. So like that, that stuff is just. I thought it was just was really impressive, and um, so it's no surprise that this, that those guys are kind of they kind of rallied this year and, and played for him. Yeah, I think it's Hoiberg's to lose, uh, and then you know if you're going third, I would bet it's Collins, Underwood, or Painter. Probably, probably. Collins. Yeah, I think you could interchange. You know, you can interchange all those guys. I mean, I think you know Brad Underwood deserves a ton of credit. I mean, we could probably do a whole whole another episode with with what he's accomplished over these past few years and and the company that that puts him in yeah just in the big 10 um it's yeah, tw- five straight 21 seasons mike I, I was texting you like and you got them all right i i asked you for the uh 
the trivia question of the six guys in the 21st century to do it. And, and you look up and down, it's Hall of Famers, soon to be Hall of Famers. You know, it's Tom Izzo, Bo Ryan, Thad Mata, who had one of the best runs in the Big Ten in recent memory. Um, and, and then Chris Holtman was kind of the, the random one because his first five years uh, at, at Illinois. But Brad Underwood's in some really elite company, Matt Painter being the other one there. So uh, that's quite an accomplishment. I, I know there's more to be done in March, but uh, what he took over and what he's built, it's it's been incredibly impressive. It, it's, I mean, 20-plus win seasons. It's why that that benchmark or that mark is so important for coaches because it's it's what we just talked about like there's just there's some threshold there that constitutes you know a good season or kind of uh, like didn't quite get there um he's done that and and it was not pretty the the first couple of years uh but the way he's built this thing has been has been unbelievable i, fi- I figured when you texted me that you don't text me that unless there's a fun one. There's a fun one. There. Yeah, like if I was just like John you know, Beeline, yeah. Yeah, John Beeline, Izzo, you know, Painter, Bo Ryan, Mata, and Underwood. Um, it wouldn't wouldn't have been as right. fun. So I figured that when you said that, there was one maybe potentially hiding in plain sight. Yeah, some guys who were close. Mark Turgeon got five of six. Uh Fran, Green, I think had a four had a four twenty yeah, Fran. Yeah, he had four or five. Fran had four or five. Uh there was one more. Uh, and there's Beeline Tubby. had eight of nine. So um, Tubby Smith, right? Tubby, was, yeah. You yeah. texted me, Tubby. I'm like, oh yeah, Tubby yeah, had four I, or five. People are so who, players that play at Illinois right now probably have a certain perception of Minnesota. When I was there, my freshman and my freshman year, especially, like they were just my god, that was just that was a really good team. We had, and people are probably going to hear this and be like, "There's no way that was the case." We were the 13th ranked team in the country with number eight Minnesota coming to our place and we lost by 17. Um, Like they were just, they had pros, um, great athletes could shoot it. I mean, they were, that was a, that was a really good team. Mike, before I let you go, I want to give you uh, a moment to to shout out your guy. Malcolm Hill signs a two-way deal with the Pelicans. 28 years old, man. Um, it's just kind of a testament to his perseverance and, and improvement as a player. Um, so hopefully he gets some more cups of coffee in the NBA because it's it's been an awesome story to see him kind of go from overseas then come back and just really commit himself to making the NBA and to be able to do it. It's been awesome. Yeah, I, I couldn't be happier for him. I think if you know Malcolm – that he really is the best. The, I don't even want to say he's not a kid anymore. He's 28 years old. Um, he's the best dude. Um, it's one of my favorites to cover. Yeah, and just, just you know, I think his he has such a good heart. Yeah. And he's such a nice kid that it it probably hurt him early in his career mm-hmm. because it wasn't until like that the shift happened for him. You know, really at the end of his freshman year. Um, like he needed some of that affirmation, I think, where he was a bench guy up until Penn State late in the season, his freshman year, and he kind of needed to hear like, "You are a starter, and we're we're trusting you." For him to kind of, for him to blossom, and then you go from four points a game your freshman year to fourteen a game your sophomore year. He continues to to build that, and um, you know, and and he and he put together a, a heck of a career. He goes overseas. I think we're about five years removed from him tearing his ACL in Germany. And that was an inflection point for him where he's just a kid that, you know, he has other interests outside of basketball and basketball is like, it's, it's part of what he does, but it's not who he is. And uh, you know, I had a conversation with him. This would have been maybe three years ago. 
Uh, he was done playing in Jerusalem, and that was a really tough season for him. Mm-hmm. DNPs wasn't playing. Um, you know, didn't really see eye to eye with with his coach, and and that really hurt things for him. And I'm on the phone with him, and he's like, "Man, I'm just going to come back and play in the G League and try to make try to make a run at this thing." And even I was sitting there, I was like, "You know, I was like, God, the money's definitely better overseas, right? Right? You're, you know, there's a there's inherent risk with doing that, but the thing you come to realize with Malcolm Hill is, guy, okay, he can accomplish it." Like he can do it because he's a worker and that was on display the you know we had nine new guys come in his freshman year and i i, I may have told this story before so i apologize if i'm reiterating it but we had nine new guys come in and you know you had to make twenty thousand shots during the summer I remember right that. yeah and i looked at myself where i'm like like i'm gonna just blow past blow, blow past twenty thousand shots like that's kind of what i had to do as a guy that was like fighting for his life to try to get minutes, get in the rotation. Malcolm Hill comes in as a, you know, top 50, whatever he was, top 40 recruit and had every, you know, opportunity to be like, well, whatever, get the 20,000, go play video games, you know, whatever, like, like some guys did, you know, I come in there at the end of the summer, he's made 30,000. <laughs> like that's just the type of dude that he is. He's like a, just a consummate worker. Um, he's relentless with, with, his work ethic and he's he was just always 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 in the gym and people can hear that and and say well of course like you're you know you got a facility you got you know you're a basketball player you're a college basketball player of course you're always in the gym ain't everybody right and even the guys that did it weren't doing it at the level that malcolm hill was doing it so as much as like i sit here i'm like man this is really his third nba team that is taking a chance on him um, and you sit there like this is incredible. You're also simultaneously not not surprised that he's accomplished it. That's awesome. Well, Michael Tulip, uh, if people want more of you, we'll do our film room after this, breaking down that defense. So check that out on the VIP side of things. Michael Tulip will catch up with you next week, man. Appreciate it as always. Appreciate you, man. You all know it. Michael Tulip is the goods. We appreciate his insight as always. Give us a follow, rating, review wherever you get the Illini Inquirer podcast. Check us out on YouTube. You can see all our podcast interviews there, all our live post games that we do. So subscribe to us there. Hit the like button and hit the notifications bell as well. We appreciate all your support everywhere. And we got plenty of new stuff at IlliniInquirer.com. I got my seven thoughts heading into the week, including some NBA and NFL draft uh, thoughts, some things around college basketball. Joy Wagner was in Iowa City to see the Caitlin Clark show uh, against the Illini, and a really good column he wrote on uh, just the impact Caitlin Clark has made on women's basketball and how that sport, she's been a huge part of you know, getting more eyeballs there, and uh, it, it's had an impact across the sport, and it's really cool to see. We got plenty from the Iowa game, and we got plenty coming up. Derek Piper caught up with a recruit who's at the Illini basketball game who's quickly becoming a priority in state for the Illini. All right, everybody have a great day. Take care of each other. We'll talk to you next time right here on the Illini Inquirer podcast. Bye, everybody. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. 
The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. 